All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to High Holiday Bootcamp. This is lesson two, session two, where we are schwitzing to the oldies. Remember that? Do you remember Richard Simmons? Oh, he's I know, right? By the way, here's a fun fact that I mentioned before, um, but not maybe in a little while. Richard Simmons shared his studio in Beverly Hills was adjoining the Chabad of Beverly Hills. I kid you not. The old Chabad of Beverly Hills, they since moved. When you were daven Shabbos morning, Saturday morning, you would literally hear his studio back in his heyday. You're right, the last few years, it's been some weird stuff going on. But back in the day, he was rocking and rolling next door to Chabad. You could go to Chabad, you could go to Richard Simmons, who's also Jewish, back and forth. Anyway, but this is boot camp. We call it boot camp because just like a boot camp is meant to supercharge you, get you, get you in shape, this is supposed to. This is uh, intended to get us into spiritual shape for the holidays. As somebody said last week, it was you, right, Jody? It's uh, the idea that you know the holidays are approaching, and we wake up and we're like, I, I don't know if I'm ready yet. This is how we get ready. So this week's topic, last week was Rosh Hashanah. This week is Yom Kippur. We are going to start one? with my mother's not on yet. Is Lee Gordon on? Uh, Lynn is on. Yes. Hi, Lynn. All right. Hi, <laughs> Good, Lynn. You've got fans. <laughs> All right. So here we go. We're gonna start with Yom Kippur. I'm gonna do the same thing I did last week. If I when I say Yom Kippur, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Don't filter Yom Kippur, Fox. or maybe filter just in case. <laughs> Fast. Good. Shooting those gates and making sure you're in. Getting inside the gates before, well, getting while the getting's good before the gates close. Good. What else? Atonement. Atonement. Good. Guys, sorry, online crew, so don't uh, unmute. Rabbi Shemtov. Rabbi Shemtov? Baal Shemtov. Ah. Baal Shemtov. Oh, the Baal Shemtov. Uh, yeah. Oh. A lot of stories we study when we were kids in these days between Rosh Hashanah. A lot of Hasidic yeah, stories. Yeah. Okay, that comes to mind. Good? Good, good? Theological quagmire. Good. We don't believe in predetermination. Ah, good. Good. Jeff is asking a great question. We don't believe in predetermination. This is the quagmire. Right. How do we reconcile uh, predetermination, Yom Kippur, determine what's going to happen for the rest of the year when we think about. (laughs) Not yet. Um, Good. Any other themes come to mind? Themes, Yom Kippur themes. The shofar. Shofar. Shofar at the end, that means we can eat. When that shofar blast happens, that's a good sign. Good. Excellent. What else? What else? Napoleon. Say it again? Napoleon. Napoleon's March. It's a Chabad custom to sing the song that we call Napoleon's March as a, as a victory song. We end Yom Kippur services with, a, with an upbeat melody. Um, what about white? We wear white on Rosh Hashanah. What else? What else comes to mind for me? Plastic I'm sorry, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, we were white. Plastic shoes. Plastic shoes, right? We don't wear leather shoes. Good. All right. So these are some... I like the dancing at the end. The dancing at the end, right? This is the Napoleon March. What did you say, Charna? Kol Nidre. of course. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Hey, Amy. Um, guys, you want to weigh in quickly? We're talking about what comes to mind. First thing that comes to mind when you hear Yom Kippur. Fasting. True. True, true, true. Fasting. Okay, so I, we're, tonight we're going to speak about another theme. And the theme we're going to speak about is the idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness and atonement, which of course is, but I mean, that was mentioned. Oh, Kittel, yeah. Uh, which of course was mentioned, but it's a very important theme. Because after all, Yom Kippur is known in English as, well, even in Hebrew, Yom 
Kippur really comes from the full version of Yom HaKippurim. What is Yom HaKippurim? The Day of Atonement, right? Kapara is atonement. Kippurim, it's actually plural. They have atonements. Um, I feel like I once saw in Spicy Peach, they, they were selling these kosher mints called Atone Mints. I think that's not actually, I think that's, that was actually a real product being sold. I digress. Tonight, we're going to look at what does atonement look like? What does kapara look like? What does forgiveness look like? What does it look like to ask for forgiveness? And all such related conversations. So let's jump in. The first thing we're going to do is look at this from the perspective of Maimonides, the great Rambam. I'll just quickly mention that Maimonides um, was the great Jewish philosopher, legal expert. He wrote, um, in addition to his books on Jewish philosophy, he, he wrote extensively on astronomy. He was a physician. Do you guys know the story of how he became a physician? I've told the story before. Basically, his brother used to support his scholarship. His brother was you know, a businessman. Um, he dealt a lot with like importing, exporting. Sounds like a Jewish job. And, and Rambam, Maimonides was, you know, he was the scholar. Well, tragically, um, Maimonides' brother passed away. Um, as he, went, he, went, he went on a ship one day and never came back. Um, it's not like Gilligan's Island. This actually had a tragic, uh, tragic ending. And, uh, um, and so Rambam, Maimonides had to support himself. And so what did he do? He got some books on, literally, he got some books on medicine and he started practicing medicine. I guess that was... When did he live? What Maimonides lived, here we have a bio, 1135 to 1204. Ah, so that's the a while ago. That's the time, uh, more or less, of the Rambam, no? No, that is Rambam. We're talking about Rambam. Oh. Yeah. Same time as Rashi. Rambam, Rashi. It's similar. Yeah, similar time. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to begin with a quote from Rambam from Maimonides in his Hilchot Shuvah. Yes, that was before the boards, correct, when you could just read a book on medicine and practice. Um, anyway, so we're going to read text 1A. Um, Mati, you want to read? Uh, you want I don't to? have my glasses. Okay, pass. All right. Jody, take a read text 1A. Um, this is how Rambam talks about he kind of frames the energy of Yom Kippur. Give me one second because I'm going to pull this up for our online crew. All right, take it away. Yom Kippur is a time of teshuva for all, both for individuals and the community at large. It is the apex of forgiveness and pardon for Israel. Accordingly, everyone is obliged to repent and confess on Yom Kippur. So here we have Rambam stating that Yom Kippur is the time of teshuva. Teshuva is not translated here. Typically, teshuva is translated as, help me out here. Return. Oh, that's actually better than what is usually translated. Usually, what's the translation for tshuva? Repentance. repentance. Now, repentance, I don't know. That, raise, that repentance is a word that I think has a lot of baggage associated with it, kind of like God and soul. I think there's a few words that can mean other things in different traditions. Repentance also, I think, means something else in different traditions. Um, tshuva really is, as Eugene said, more accurately translated as return. Tshuva means literally return. Um, and so it's for individuals, the community, and therefore, Rambam says, Everyone is obligated to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. Good. Now, Yom Kippur is the culmination of the 10 days of tshuva, the 10 days of repentance or return, um, which begins with Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the first day of the month of Tishrei. Yom Kippur is the 10th day. Those 10 days are known as 
Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the 10 days of repentance or return. Let's continue, if you don't mind. Jody, please read text 1b as well from Rambam. By the way, I should mention, if you look at the citation or look at the source, this is chapter 2, um, Halacha 6. The one that, we, that you just read it was chapter 2, Halacha 7. So the truth is, these text 1a and text 1b are out of order, but you'll see why in a second why we, uh, why we put it out of order. All right, text 1b. Even though repentance and calling out to God are always desirable, they are even more desirable during the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. They will be accepted immediately as the verse states, Seek God when He is to be found. So, thank you. So, the verse in Isaiah, the verse in Yeshaya says, fascinatingly, Dear Shu Hashem Matzo, seek God when He is to be found, which means that if you're looking for God or if you're trying to connect, might as well connect when He's available. Right? Like if you're going to call someone, yeah, it's good. It's good if they're available. So, so when is God to be found? So our tradition has it the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Between doesn't mean in between. It means including right Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Those ten days are known as um, special days. Ten days of tshuva, and that is when God is to be found, and when when our tshuva, when our return, is that much more um, more effective. Uh, before you guys turn the page. Do you see a difference between text 1a and text 1b? What is the difference? This is a, a, um, like a critical analysis question. What is the difference between text 1b and text 1a vis-a-vis the different, difference in the energy between the tshuva of the 10 days of repentance versus the tshuva of Yom Kippur? What do you guys see? Immediacy. Okay, which one is more immediate? B. Okay, good. What else? Well, A seems to be more geared toward everyone. Okay. And B seems to be more each individual's relationship with Hashem. I like that. Okay, good. Good, good. Hold that thought. What else? I guess one B is us reaching out A looks more like an obligation. Oh, A looks like an obligation. Good. Hold that thought, David. Mike, what were you saying? I was saying one B is there's more of us reaching out to Hashem. Good. Okay, so one is more of the individual's initiative, whereas that's 1B, the 10 days of repentance, the individual initiative, Hashem is available, but it's still us, our initiative, whereas 1A is more about the time itself, is evoking that, and I like what David said as well, David said that 1A seems to be a, or is an obligation, whereas 1B is not mentioning that, and the truth is, that's actually the angle that I want to focus on. In other words, when you look at text 1A, you do see a big difference between text 1a and text 1b. In text 1a, Rambam writes, Maimonides says, um, accordingly, the last sentence over there of 1a is, everyone is obligated to repent and confess in Yom Kippur. In other words, it's a day, it's a time of tshuva, time of return or repentance, and therefore everyone is obligated to repent. Okay, it's an obligation. Whereas 1b is saying the 10 days of repentance, or if you want to do it, it's a good time to do it. You see the difference there in language? One is saying that if you want to do tshuva, this is the time of year to do it, it'll be more effective. That's 1B. That's all 10 days. But then Maimonides says, that's halacha 6. Halacha 7 is where Rabbam says, by the way, you know when I just said that these 10 days are a really good time? If you want to say I'm sorry and you want to like kind of you know, get back you know, in, in a good place with God and with, with, uh, with your fellow human being, you know, the 10 days of repentance are a great time to do that. But you know what? On Yom Kippur, it's actually an obligation to do that. You have to do that. So it ups the ante. The 10 days of repentance are what we would call like a zman masugal, like it's, a, it's an auspicious time. 
But Yom Kippur is not just auspicious. It's not just a good time. It's, an, it's a necessary time. You have to do it. And it's an obligation on the individual and on the community. Look what he says in text 1a, just to, to remind you of 1a. It's a time of tshuva, both for individuals and for the community. Everyone is obligated to repent and confess on Yom Kippur. Now, this distinction, this is a, a very important thing to note. Again, all 10 days of repentance, you could do tshuva, it's wonderful, it's more powerful, it's more effective, it's easier, whatever you want to call it. But on Yom Kippur, it becomes an obligation to do that. That raises, um, sorry, before we raise the question, let's take a look at text two. Ronnie, please read text number two. Please. This is from Rabbi Yonah of Gerona, also from the same time, essentially the same time period. It's a proactive obligation for each person to rouse their spirit and return to God with the Shugo on Yom Kippur. As the verse states, before God, you shall be cleansed from all your sins. So he says, thank you, he says clearly that it's a proactive obligation to do tshuva. Now, why is that fascinating? You see, I'll tell you why I think it's fascinating. Typically, I think you and I would, would conceive of tshuva as being something reactive, not proactive. When do you say, I'm sorry? Often. After you mess up. Or you do something wrong, you say, I'm sorry. What happens if you don't mess up? Now, I know who doesn't mess up, right? <laughs> us, all of us, look at this, we're all so good. Right, but so if you don't mess up, there's nothing to say sorry for. In other words, tshuva, which is the idea of reconnecting, implies that you became disconnected and now you're reconnecting. And that implies something reactive. So how, the first, we're gonna ask three questions. The first question is, what kind of business is this that we say that Yom Kippur is an obligation you have to do tshuva? Like, I have to do tshuva. I'll do tshuva when I want to do tshuva. What do I mean? When I do something wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm sorry. In other words, how does it make sense that you have one day a year on the calendar that based on the time, is you're obligated now to do tshuva. That doesn't make sense. How do you you're, do tshuva only in one day? Only in one day. That's another question. That's a fourth question. I didn't even have that question. That's a good question. How can you do it in one day? Do you know how big the list is? No, okay. Right? It's like, <laughs> right? Do you know what I'm, what I'm schlepping into this place? So, but the, the first question that I want to ask is just to clarify the question because we'll have three questions and each one is, you know, is similar. But the first question is like this. Throughout the year, Whenever we do something that perhaps we shouldn't have done. After that, there's a mitzvah to do tshuva, to repent, to say I'm sorry. And to essentially the mitzvah tshuva is to regret what we've done and commit to not do it again. It's very simple. To really own it, to acknowledge it. Well, I guess the first step is acknowledging it. I did it. Not like it's your fault. Because then you can't do tshuva. If it's, if it's someone else's fault, then, you, then you're not doing tshuva. Step one is owning it. Step two is regretting it, and step three is um, committing to not do it again. Very simple, not easy, but simple, like straightforward. I did it, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Done. When do, when, is there, when do you need to do that? After you messed up, after you did something wrong. You say, I'm sorry, this is what I did, not gonna do it, this is what I did, um, I, I regret doing it, not gonna do it again. That is the three-step process of tshuva that's done, that should be done after we engage in, 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 you know, in missteps and mistakes. Whether it's in our relationship with God or relationship with someone else, whatever it is, tshuva should come as a reaction to what we've done or haven't done. 
So the first question we're asking is, so then what is Yom Kippur? A day on the calendar that everyone is obligated to do tshuva? Why? It's like, it's like the, uh, the Chabad conference in New York. They have a big banquet after a whole weekend. It's called the Kinnus HaShluchim HaOlami. It's the grand uh, international gathering of, of Chabad rabbis. There's a picture in front of the 770 Eastern Parkway. You guys know 770 Eastern Parkway, the main Chabad shul, where all the Chabad rabbis are standing there, thousands of guys. It literally becomes a Where's Waldo, because everyone's wearing the same. Can you imagine a bunch of Chabad rabbis, all wearing black hats, all with beards, pretty much everyone with glasses. <laughs> everyone there is, yeah. Um, anyway, so, the, so at the banquet on, on Sunday evening, there's a part, I think the year one, it was indeed spontaneous, but literally on the program is spontaneous dancing. It's like, okay, and now the spontaneous dancing, right? It's after the roll call. They do, they do the roll call. It's, it's great the way they do the roll call. They say, um, all the shluchim, all the chamar rabbis who went out in the 1950s stand up, and like one or two guys stand up. In the 60s, a few more guys. In the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. Um, and then they go through, what do you call the zero? The odds? What are, I'm stuck. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Whatever. Right, so they go through all the decades, and, the, a whole, and then everyone stands. And then say, the parents of the shluchim stand up. Yeah? Uh, the friends and supporters, that, that some people stand up. And then the whole room stands up. And then, oh, and then they, oh, sorry, before that, they, they go through all the countries. They go through Chabad, shluchim in Russia, in Ukraine, and they're still friends. And, and they're still friends. And then, um, you know, they go through uh, France and, and, and Ireland, all the countries, the alphabet. And so at, at the end of the, after everyone is standing up, they say a round of applause for the entire world, and everyone stands up, and then spontaneous dancing. <laughs> but it's like, it's on the schedule, spontaneous dancing. So is that what we're doing here, spontaneous truva? It's like, now, truva. It's like, hold on, I didn't, I, I didn't do anything right now. Like, I, I, did, I messed up a few weeks ago, I said something not nice, I apologize. What, what, what are we doing now? What's happening now in Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is now... The day of tshuva. And Rambam says, remember, Rambam, Maimonides doesn't say, like, if you have some outstanding thing that you need to fix up, it's a good day to do it. That's the 10 days of repentance. On Yom Kippur, it's an obligation for everyone to do tshuva. I'm sorry. I already did it two months ago. What do you want from me now? Like, what's, what, what's, why is it an obligation now? That's question number one. Question number two, again, is a similar question. Question number two is, so question number one is more about the timing. Why is it that Yom Kippur is now the time to do tshuva? It seems like tshuva should be something that happens throughout the year whenever, on, a, on an as-need basis. Question number one. Question number two, Rambam says that tshuva is for everyone. Sorry, that the obligation of tshuva is, uh, is, is, is incumbent on everyone. Every single one of us has to do tshuva on Yom Kippur. And then, again, it's a similar question. Why? What if I don't have anything to do with for you? Yeah. I think because he wants everybody to be humble and have humility. And whatever, wherever you are, economically, socially, politically, everybody's in the exact same place. I don't know. We can all wear blue parkas if it's all about like uh, equalizing everybody. The question really is, no, I'm not sure. Tra- I'm just saying like... Like to bring the Messiah, the Mashiach. Yeah. You, they said that all Am Yisrael have to do Shabbat. 
Right. We send Shabbat and then the Mashiach will come. Yeah. So maybe on the same token. Yeah, but that's bring everyone to shul together. But, then, but what, what's this tshuva business? I understand. It's a good thing about equalizing, getting everyone on the same page. But it still seems to be... Shuvah is... No, uh, you, you were saying it's good. I'm, but we just want to no, push a little. <laughs> but we want uh, to... The, the idea here is we want to really push against this. Because the goal tonight is to completely reframe our understanding of Yom Kippur. Like what it's about and what we're supposed to do on the day. Because there's what we learned as kids. And then what we learned, you know, every year when we go to synagogue and we hear, you know, a sermon or two. But there's really a deeper angle on this, on this holiday that I feel is underrepresented in talk, in explanation. And that's what we're going to get to ideally tonight. So again, question number one is, why is shuva obligatory on a certain day on the calendar? Again, it's like spontaneous dancing. At like 6 p.m., we're going to dance spontaneously. It's like on Yom Kippur, we're all going to do tshuva. Why? When I need it, I'll do it. What's with the Yom Kippur? The question number one is about timing. Question number two is about the individual. Everyone has to do tshuva. Well, what if I didn't do anything wrong? Now, I know what you're thinking. Everyone has something to do tshuva for. Everyone's done something wrong. Yeah, but again, if, if the person did tshuva for that thing last week, why would they need to do tshuva again on Yom Kippur? Right? What if they didn't do anything? What if conceptually, what if theoretically, somebody didn't get into trouble, didn't really, you know, um, uh, you know, mess up in between, you know, three days before Yom Kippur and Yom Kippur, and three days before Yom Kippur, they made amends and they apologized and they, you know, cleaned up their act and it's all clean. Do they still have to do Shuvah on Yom Kippur? According to Rambam, yes. Maimani says yes, but why? Community. community, right. So I think that's a similar response. Community, individually, so it's all together. By the way, and to support that, we're going to go at a bit of a different angle, but again, to support that, because it is, it is a good point, um, the confessional prayers that we recite on Yom Kippur are always said in the plural. We have sinned. We have transgressed. We, we, we. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Now, okay. right, it's, always about, it's always about we as a collective and not me as an individual. So there is the idea of communion, which is true. And some say that really, even if you have nothing to atone for and nothing to say sorry for, you still stand up because you're, you're aligning yourself with the other fellow who may have something to clean up. But it seems like from, and all that is true. However, it seems like from Rambam, from Maimonides, that the emphasis is that every individual has what to do tshuva for. And the question is, how do we know that? And what if the individual doesn't have anything right now to, uh, to atone for? Do they still have to do, what's, what's their, what's the energy for them on, on Yom Kippur? Do they still have a space? So again, uh, both, in the pers- both from the perspective of time and also from the perspective of the individual, Yom Kippur seems to be this, this, uh, this enigma. Uh, 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 in the context of time, why this day more than other days? Kind of like to evoke the, um, the Passover question, right? Why is this day different than all other days? You guys know the story with Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs? <laughs> I see some knowing, some knowing glances. Basically, he was um, he was knighted by the queen a few years ago. He passed away a few years ago, but before that, he was knighted by the queen. And so, when after the ceremony, so she went over to shake his hand, and he said, "I'm sorry, I can't shake your hand. I'm an Orthodox rabbi." So she turns to one of her guards and says, "Why is this night different than all other nights?" That never happened. That's it. That's a joke. Anyway, the point, the point of the no, matter. That's how we're 
That's not a real story. <laughs> uh, sorry, it's what? Yes, it's a story that could have happened. I have a question. Yes. You're making like the text three stuff here. Yes. Just get to the point, Rabbi. No. Thank you. Anyway, um, I was always taught that all bets are forgiven on Yom Kippur, and supposedly, but we're not talking here about uh, these are verbal things. I'm sorry. You know, you know, forgive me. What if you've done someone physically harm? Let's say I stole two hundred dollars from you. Excellent. Am I supposed to say I'm sorry I stole two hundred dollars? And you say, I don't care. Give me my damn two hundred dollars back. Right. You know, um, where is the act? Or let's say, you know, I always remember about my uh, lips speaking, whatever. I don't want to say my lips. Let's say your lips caused a divorce. Mm. You know, should you be obligated? Repentance to find another spin for the woman or something. Right. That's a I'm great. Like to interrupt, but, uh, it says chuva between you and God, not chuva between you and Yeah, but friend. you can't have repentance if you've done harm. Right. No, no, I think you guys are agreeing. In other words, correct. You guys are both saying the same thing. In other words, <laughs> differently. No, really, this is, this is a, very, a very important point, and, and thank you for raising this. The Talmud discusses this and says that Yom Kippur works. Between a person and Hashem. So you can ask for, you can ask for forgiveness, etc. But if someone harmed someone else and that harm is still outstanding, or even if it's not outstanding, but the person still has the, 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 the victim or the aggrieved party still is holding on to, to, you know, to pain, then one has to first make it okay with that person and then Yom Kippur can kick in. So in other words, if, if you still have that person's 200 bucks, you can't, Yom Kippur doesn't, doesn't wipe that away. You have to first make that right, and then Yom Kippur can kick in. I just keep on, it goes more like Ellie Weissman, who's the pleasure of talking to, he came to the uh, book fair, and I was mocked about And um, he and I spoke well. And he gave a story that when he was in a concentration camp, a young Nazi lieutenant was burned, throwing Jews into the oven. Hmm. Should have heard a lot of them. But he was dying from his burns. And they called him up saying, You're a learned man. He wants forgiveness for what he's done. Yeah. And he refused to give forgiveness. He said, I can't forgive. The people you hurt have to forgive. No. I don't know if that's a true story. I, I would imagine if I was not say I would put a bullet in his head. Yeah. You know, that's um, that's the book called this. Then. Yeah, no, but I think that's. I don't think that's Wiesel. I think that's um, that's Simon Wiesenthal. Oh, sorry, you're right. Simon uh, Wiesenthal wrote a book. No, but I know the book. The book is called The Sunflower, and he asked the question. He was called in to a dying Nazi. Right. The dying Nazi asked for forgiveness, and he wasn't sure what to do. So he he has a whole book. That's probably the book. He has a book about the. Um, I don't think I just hear. It's like, it's what, what would be the correct approach? Do you forgive a dying Nazi if you ask for forgiveness? So interesting, Deborah Lipstadt is, so he asked a bunch of people, scholars, philosophers, theologians, clergy people. He asked a lot of people around the world and he, he compiled their answers in this book called The Sunflower. And Deborah Lipstadt from Emory has, has one, she, her response is also in the book. And she said basically, and she's correct, based on Jewish law, 
you can't forgive on behalf of anyone else. Simon Wiesenthal can't say on behalf of the victims, you are forgiven. How can he do that? If somebody is indeed no longer here, someone hurt, murdered, whatever, and they're no longer, or in any way hurt, and, and then they passed away, how do you ask for forgiveness? According to Halakha, according to Jewish law, you have to go to the grave, go to the cemetery, you have to pray, you have to ask for forgiveness. How do you know when, you, when you're forgiven? I don't know, maybe you have to keep on going. But that's, it's a serious deal. So you can't just, right. So I think the point here is, there's no easy, there's no quick snap of the finger. But the stuff, if, assuming there's no residual harm left, it's just about making amends between us and God, that's where Yom Kippur comes in and that's where the obligation is. And our question is, well, wait a second. If we've already, if, if we've already made amends, why do it on Yom Kippur? And if it's about the individual, then why does everyone have to do it on Yom Kippur? It should be up to the individual, again, where, where they're at. Now, I want to deal with a third question. Because I think this is something that also, well, I think this question will resonate. The third question, which again is related, is why every Yom Kippur do we recite the same list of sins? Now, the easy answer is because that's what they wrote. They, they wrote a list and we haven't changed it. We haven't updated it. Imagine, right? Imagine you, uh, you know, you're shopping for Shabbat every, every Friday. You're doing some grocery shopping. And you have the same list, the same exact list. Same meal. <laughs> same meal, right? Give me a little variety here. <laughs> Switch up the gefiltevich for some salmon. Um, but it's the same. It seems like the same list. Let's take a look at text number three. Um, Steve, if you don't mind reading text three, this is a taste, by the way. This is a taste of the confessional prayers. Just a quick, uh, a quick intro to this. The confessional prayers in Hebrew known as known as the vidui. The vidui is recited 10 times on throughout the 25, 26 hours of Yom Kippur. The, the vidui is arranged according to the Aleph Bet, the Aleph Bez. Um, every letter of the Aleph Bet has two confessions. So Aleph is Aleph Aleph, Bet is Bet Bet, Gimel is Gimel Gimel, etc. So every letter, and there are 22 letters, which means there are 44, you guys with me so far on the math? 22 times 2, 44, times 10, 440 times we're tapping our chest and saying, for this sin, for that sin, for the other sin. We repeat the same list of 44 10 times, and we do it every year. So let's say you've done it for 10 years, 4,440 times you've said the same things. Well, I guess not exactly the same things, but you've said that conventional prayer on a loop. And the question is, in Yiddish you would say, in English that would be, Enough, enough already. Stop. It's coming out of my ears. The same list? Do you know what I did this year? I need a new list. What is with this? What's with the same list? Please read text three. For the sin we committed before you under compulsion and willingly, and for the sin we committed before you by callously hardening the heart, for the sin we committed before you inadvertently, and for the sin we committed before you with an utterance of the lips, for the sin we committed before you in sexual immorality, and for the sin we committed before you openly and secretly, for the sin we committed before you with knowledge and with deceit, and for the sin we committed before you through the misuse of our power of speech. All right, and that's just the, thank you, and that is just the first four times two, the first eight. Right, Aleph, Bed, Gimel, Dalet, four letters times two is eight. That's the first eight confessions. There's a total of 44 in each set, and each set is repeated 10 times. So, this is the set, and the question I'm asking now is, we already did this last year. We did it the year before. First of all, why the same list? 
But more importantly, if, per, if let's say, we did violate one of these 44, right? And we did Shuvah last Yom Kippur. And we really cleaned up our act and we didn't do it again. Why are we repeating it again the next year? And you might argue and say, well, there's a standard boilerplate list. We're not going to deviate. We're not going to like, it's not like, what was that, a Mad Libs? Right? It's not like fill in your own. It's like A, B, C, D, E or other. There's no other here. It's like you, you have a list and that's it. You could say that. And yet, we're still going to ask the question, how is it or why is it that we did this, we, did, we went through this list last year. Let's say we took it to heart. Let's say we did have areas that we, we, improve, that we needed to improve on. Let's say we did improve on those areas or in those areas. So now why are we repeating the same list? Why are we doing it again? Now, um, this question is asked by the commentaries, and we'll see the Talmud itself addresses this. There's an interesting angle uh, from Rabbi Moshe of Trani, which is text number four, known as the Mabit. Um, we're going to read this in a minute, but again, the, the, to understand the answer that he gives, let's understand the question. The question is, if we already did Shuva last year on this list, why are we doing it again? Does that imply that we still need to fix it? Um, but we already, fi- let's say we already fixed it. Why are we fixing it again? What's going on? So text number four gives a perspective that ultimately we're not going to stick with, but it's an interesting perspective. Jeff, if you don't, you want to pass? Eugene. Eugene. Just to hear your accent. We Sorry. Read text four and five. <laughs> <laughs> Just to hear the accent. Okay, text four. Text four. A person isn't required to do teshuva for past sins for which they have already repented. But they are certainly required to repeatedly articulate them so that they don't ever repeat the same mistakes. But as far as teshuva is concerned, the person has resolved never to repeat the mistake and they have acknowledged that it was that it was that wily snake, the evil tempter, who seduced them then. So their original teshuva for that sin remains in place. I love how it goes with the wily snake. Like Wiley Coyote, that's all I'm thinking. But who was that, BB? Who was Road it? Roadrunner. Wiley Coyote, remember that? Huh? So, was it Santa Fe? Really? Really? We're coming full circle. Look what, look what, what the Mabit writes. The Mabit says like this. You did Shuva last year for this list. You have 44 sins. Let's say you did Shuva for this. So why are you doing it again the next year? Because it's in the prayer book? But why? He says, look, even if you did Shuva, and let's say this past year you didn't repeat any of these sins. Let's say you, were, you, you, you stuck with your, your, your commitment to not repeat these things again. You still read it. Why? To remind you about the list, not to do it again. So it's not that you're asking tshuva. It's not like you're actually repenting for these things. You're reminding yourself, these are the things that I'm going to continue to stay away from. That's his angle. However, however, it doesn't seem on Yom Kippur that when we say forgive me for this sin, that sin, and the other sin, that we're only doing it as a reminder. It seems like we're actually asking for forgiveness. Right? I mean, the simple meaning of the prayer, right? Please forgive us for this sin, for that sin. I'm doing this because we, the custom is to tap our chest when we do this. Right? For this sin, for that sin, for the other sin, forgive us, atone for us. Right? That's what we say in the prayers. So it doesn't seem, it's a beautiful idea that he's saying. It's not asking for forgiveness, it's just a reminder. But it doesn't seem to be, if you, look, if you open up the prayer book, it doesn't seem to just be a reminder. It seems like we're actually asking for forgiveness. So to get a deeper understanding of this, we're actually going to go all the way back to the Talmud. 
Now you might ask, why don't we start with the Talmud? But we're taking you on a bit of a journey here through, through Jewish scholarship and different angles on this. So let's look at the Talmud back in Tractate Yoma, which Tractate Yoma, by the way, is about Yom Kippur. And here's text 5a. Text 5a. Hey, Jimmy. Text 5a um, is going to be, text 5a and the next few texts are going to be very, very important. Um, let's, we'll pass to, uh, to Mike. Mike, take it away, please. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, if one, confess, if one confesses in subsequent years, all the more so is he praiseworthy, as the verse states, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Now, let's pause here for a second. Hold on, let's, let's look at this. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, to our question, our, just to reset our question, our question is, if you've already done shuva for this thing, should you confess, the, should you say it again the next year? He says, yes. If one confesses in subsequent years, all the more so is he praiseworthy. In other words, do it again. Even though you've already cleaned up that area, confess again. Why? Because he quotes a, a verse from Psalms, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. What does that mean? What's he saying? Sorry? Don't forget. So again, that's how the Mambit says. The Mambit says, don't forget where you came from. Remind yourself about this list. But it seems like it's going a little bit deeper. The truth is, the truth is, Take a look at how Rambam, you know, if you don't mind, please read text 5b as well. Mike, and this, this will really emphasize the question. Sins confessed on one Yom Kippur should be confessed on another Yom Kippur, even though one remains steadfast in their repentance. As the verse states, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So again, you confessed on one Yom Kippur, you confessed last year, and you remain steadfast in your tshuva. You didn't fall, but you didn't backslide into that area. So you confessed, you said, I'm sorry, you did shuva for that area, and the whole year, you were strong. You should still confess again. Why? For my sin is ever before me. It's always before me. What does that mean? That's not, not there's a conflict. It's part because Leviticus says, before God, you'll be cleansed from all your sins. So that's the answer. I mean, there's a conflict. Where do you see? Well, hold on. Well, Where? I see it in text two at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, you very nicely put 1630. Hold on, hold on one second. Wait, wait, say it again, say it again. Before God, you shall be cleansed for all your sins. Oh, which implies it's done. That's right. So why are we drudging it up again? Oh, oh, good. That's, so this is the tension that we're going to resolve tonight. So we have this tension. On the one hand, we learn, on the one hand, we have a teaching, and it's in the Torah itself, Leviticus, it says, all oh, your sins are clean. If you do tshuva, then it, you're clean slate. Right. It's like that etch a sketch, right? You etch a sketch, done. Right? Remember that? It's done. It's finished. Finito. On the other hand, we're saying, My sins are always before me. Why are they always before me? It sounds like we're beating ourselves up. What's happening here? And then again, Rabbi, uh, so, so the, uh, the Mabit says, no, 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 no. Your tshuva is tshuva. You have a clean slate. It's just you're reminding yourself, this is the list. In case you forget, this was the list. It's like you, you post the rules. No running in the pool. In the pool. Around the pool. Also in the pool. It's hard to run in the pool. Whatever. No running by the pool. You post the rule. I'm not running. You oppose the rule anyway. Every year we remind ourselves, I'll hate this, I'll hate that. I'm not doing it. We're good. That's his angle. But that doesn't seem to be the angle. In fact, take a look at Rashi. Take a look at what Rashi says on the Talmud. Amy, if you don't mind, please read text number, text number six. My sin is ever before me. 
This sounds like some good old Jewish self-beating oneself up, right? Look how Rashi understands it. Why, are my, why, are, why is my sin ever before me? Because the person says, I don't know if you've forgiven me. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is like, um, what do you call this? Jewish, uh, Jewish neuro- well, neuroses or whatever it is. Well, I forgot the language. This is like paranoia. It's like, I don't know if I've been forgiven, so therefore I think that I'm not forgiven, so that's why I'm confessing again this year. Is that what's really going on? seems to be that we seem to be missing something. I, I, I don't see a conflict thing because even though we, in one kippu we did everything, yeah. but only alone we taught bad things and everything. So True, oh, but yeah, fine. Okay, but let's say in this area I was, I was clean. Let's say in this area I was clean. Do I still do it again this year? The answer is yes. Why? Why? So we say, so the answer is because because my sins are always before me. What does that mean? I want to share with you a perspective that I think is going to resonate. And I think this perspective is really going to change the way we understand Yom Kippur from beginning to end. And here's the perspective. Imagine a relationship. Imagine a human relationship where you did something or said something that was hurtful to the other. And you really, you, you really love the other person. So you love them. But you said something that wasn't so respectful, wasn't so nice, wasn't so considerate. Or you did something that wasn't so nice or considerate. And the other person got hurt from that. And you felt really bad. You apologized. You said, I'm sorry. And they forgave you. And at your sketch, it's clean. Clean slate. All worked out well. Do you have to say, I'm sorry again? No. You already cleaned up. You already, you already took care of it. However, as the relationship grows, as the years go by, the relationship grows, hopefully, right? The relationship grows and deepens. And as that happens, hopefully, hopefully, we become more and more sensitive to the person, to the people that we love. And then, so it's possible that at some later point, we might recall what we once did and say, I know I said I'm sorry, and I meant it. And I was forgiven, and we're good. But knowing now, what knowing now, knowing what I know now, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. And you might want to once again go back to the person and say, you know what? I appreciate you so much more now than ever before. And I don't know how I could have ever done that, but I just want you to know how much I love you. That's beautiful. That means that the relationship is growing and evolving in a good way. And as it grows, what was fine, what was a fine, what was an okay level of tshuva before, still needs another, still needs to be readdressed. Which means that as we grow from year to year, even though we've officially, even though we've conceptually taken care of business in the past Yom Kippur, but since we've grown, we're now at one year older, one year wiser, one year hopefully more spiritually sensitive. So we can feel once again the sensitivity of those things that we've done. It doesn't mean that we're constantly beating ourselves up for the past. You know, I've, I've said, I've shared this, uh, this line before. When we're driving, you know, we're driving in our cars, there's two pieces of glass in front of us. What are they? What are the two pieces of glass? Mirror. Oh, the windshield 
and the mirror, the rearview mirror. Yeah, which one is bigger? <laughs> which one's bigger? <laughs> the windshield. Why? Because primarily we're meant to look forward. It's only if you have to, you have a mirror in case you have to look back. Right? But primarily we move forward. So typically we're not meant to look back and beat ourselves up and say, I can't believe it. What was I thinking? Because you know what? Living in the past means you're not honoring the present. It means you're not honoring the moment. But at some time, but, but at some times, and, and these occasions come up, it is appropriate to readdress the past, not in the context of beating ourselves up, but in the context of growth and development. We've grown a year, uh, we, we, we've, we've advanced a year beyond, we've grown, we've become more sensitive to ourselves, more sensitive to our purpose, more sensitive to our mission, more sensitive to our divine connection. And if that's the case, then we can once again um, recall what we've done and, and feel that sensitivity on a deeper level. Let me share with you the way this is articulated in the Jewish mystical text. Take a look at text, I'm going to say 8a. This is from the founder of the Chabad movement, Rabbi Schneir Zaman of Liadi, the author of Tanya. Take a look at text 8a. He writes it more beautifully than I could ever articulate it. It could very well be that one has done complete tshuva. Still, it's not enough. For tshuva is primarily a duty of the heart, and the heart has many layers and complexities, each person according to the conditions of their era and environment. So when a person observes that they are still spiritually numb, that is an indication that their tshuva has not been accepted and their past sins obstruct between them and God. A deeper level of tshuva is necessary from a deeper pocket of the heart. Thus, King David said, my sins remain ever before me. Now that sounds like it's held against me as a negative. We can go even more subtle and say it's not held against us as a negative, but we can keep on climbing ever further in the positive. And this is um, text AB, the clarification. Take a look at text AB from the same author. When the verse states, my sins remain ever before me, it does not mean that one should always be depressed and diminished. After all, just a few verses later, it says in Psalms, make me hear joy and gladness. So which one is it? Are we supposed to be beating ourselves up constantly or we should be in a state of joy and gladness? So clearly joy and gladness is what we're going to choose if those are the options. Rather, the sin must be before me, which Rashi interprets as from a distance. The idea is to keep one from getting too arrogant and instead to maintain a sense of humility relative to all other people. This is the result of keeping one's sin constantly before them. So now it sounds like we're using sin as a way to keep us humble. But the truth is, uh, the, the deepest idea, these are a few different ideas, but the deepest idea is the one that I'm sharing, that I shared with you a few moments ago, and that is that as we grow and as we become more sensitive, we can revisit um, the past and we can revisit the experiences in a relationship we can, and we can recognize that what was okay then is not okay now. I mean, without getting too detailed, what was okay a few years ago in the world society is just not okay. It's not okay today. And that's, and that, and that, that's a sign of growth. It's a sign that we're more sensitive. And now, does it mean that we go back and, and, and cancel everyone? I don't know. I'll leave that up to the experts. But what it means is that as a growing human being, we should be able to look back and say, you know what? I wouldn't do that again today. Or that level, that barometer, that, that level of tshuva that I did then, it's not enough today. Today, I need to go a little bit further than that because I've grown. Because I've grown... I can now, because I'm more sensitive, I can now readdress some of these areas that need to be readdressed. Does that make sense? Yeah? 
Um, yeah. Yes. And and I think that that right and so and that is the message. The message is it's one year later. It's a high. It's the high holiday season. It's a wake up call, and we're supposed to ask ourselves if we're one year ahead than where we were last year. If it's one year later, then the question is, have I grown to appreciate Hashem, the other people in my life? Have I grown to appreciate them more so that I am more sensitive to them and to what I've done or haven't done? And that's the question that we ask ourselves on Yom Kippur, which answers all the questions. Let's go back to your existential. Yeah. I think, I think this is much more of a Jewish thing, too. You're never fully racist. There's always straight. That's true. What do you mean? You're right. <laughs> you're right. Because I have a racist. I have a Yeah, but it's not just such a step. I'm doing a drawing now. No matter how much you erase, it's still a trace of what you appeared to do before. You go through any great painting, go to an x ray of it, you'll see there's another piece. Layers. Of and, you know, I've done some bad things vis-a-vis uh, my wife then. Uh, you know, I, I'm, myself, I'm mean, wandering around in Pittsburgh, like, how could she ever forget me? You know, we're having the best time of our lives, but I still know that there has to be a trace. You know, so I think we keep on saying these things because, A, prevent us from doing them over again, to remind ourselves of our own hubris, to also continuously do repentance to those we've harmed or hurt because it's never erased. Right. Especially if it's a woman. Do you remember And So I think that you, so Jeff, I think that you nailed all three points. Number one, on the head. Number one, number one, don't be too arrogant. Right? Number one, don't be too arrogant. Number two, this is the list, don't do it again. And number three, we can all, there's always a trace. And that's the point. There's always a trace. And, and as we evolve, we or realize. Back, said, huh? There's always something there to remind <laughs> 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 you. Yeah. yeah. What is the Hebrew that they're saying that, that says it shall be cleansed? Does it not say cleansed? It does say cleansed. It says titaru, which means to be cleansed. Now, so here's the thing. So it is cleansed. But again, cleansing is all relative. So relative to where you are now, that's okay. Imagine, think about a child, right? So relative to a child, we would say they did the best they could with what they know. But when, they, when they're a little bit older, they know a little bit more. So they're held to a higher, what, what, whatever that is. So there's a, a higher standard and a higher, higher level of, of responsibility and accountability based on that, uh, that, that advancement. So the goal here is not that we should constantly be in a state of beating ourselves up. That's why it's only once a year. Only once a year. That's why it's once a year on Yom Kippur. So, and this, this, so it is, you are cleansed and forgiven when you've done shuva. But the next year you revisit it in the sense of deepening that and, and, and understanding that that still may require a little bit more of uh, or a little further analysis and examination of you know what are those subtleties that I could still work on. So it's a slippery slope, the potential of falling into despair or guilt. Right. Um, the other aspect of it is maybe we should give ourselves credit for making teshuva for improvement and reflect upon maybe the 
ability to grow and develop. Um, You're saying be proud of the fact that even notwithstanding. We deserve credit. And, and, right. And, and, and reaching for a relationship with the divine is, is, is you know, as we evolve and grow and make teshuva, it, it allows that to happen. It opens up avenues, if you will. But, but, I, but I think, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm phrasing it well, but, but I think it's important for us to be able to, you know, pat ourselves on the back as well as you know, feel guilty. Otherwise, it's not, there's, there's no use to the... To the Just negative feelings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's, that really takes us full circle. Remember, I asked three questions. Question number one is, why is there an objective day on the calendar? It seems like whenever you do something wrong, do tshuva. Question two was, why does everyone have to do tshuva? Only if you did something wrong, you should do it. Otherwise, you're good. And question three is, why the same list every year? And really, with this deeper perspective of tshuva, that it's not that when we do it each year on the same stuff, it's not necessarily, like if, look, if we messed up, then, then we have a legitimate reason. But otherwise, if we've done shuva, the idea is to revisit it with a deeper perspective. That we only do because it's Yom Kippur. In other words, we don't do it because we're beating ourselves up on a regular basis. We're doing it because there's one day a year on the calendar that is an objective day to reevaluate the stuff that we've done in the past and even the shuva that we've done in the past. We're reevaluating that and asking ourselves the question, can we go deeper in this relationship? Should we go deeper in this relationship? Or should it remain as is? But if it should go deeper, this is the day to go deeper. So Yom Kippur, really, if we think about Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is not the day to say sorry for the things we've done wrong. That should be done throughout the year. Don't wait till Yom Kippur to make amends. Do it in proximity to the grievance and, and, and wipe, wipe it clean. Yom Kippur is really about readdressing readdressing those areas in which we've already done shuva to ask ourselves, can we go deeper in this relationship? It's kind of like a couple that will, you know, obviously have lots of interactions throughout the days, weeks and months, etc. But maybe once in a while they go out and have a conversation about, you know, the relationship and, 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 and address, you know, the connection and redress, address, you know, the bigger, the, bigger, the bigger things. And that's what we're talking about once a year. It's, we have this on the calendar, Yom Kippur. And Rambam says it's an obligation. Don't, don't let the day go by without this. This is the obligation to ask ourselves the question, where are we in our relationship with the divine? Where are we in our relationship with others? What are the areas in which we've moved past, perhaps, but still, like, we've moved past the negativity, but we still, there's still a trace, right? There's still a trace. The etch sketch is still not perfectly, um, and maybe it will never get perfectly, you know, clean. But what are those areas that I can still address? Let's do another few texts, and then we'll we'll close it out with some uh, some some final words. Um, take a look, uh, and spontaneous dan- and spontaneous dancing exactly. Let's take a look at text number nine. Here we go. Here the rabbit distinguishes between typical tshuva and yom kippur tshuva. Here's the distinction: when the reason for tshuva is contingent upon the person and their sins. And in situations where the person either didn't sin or already performed adequate tshuva, there's no further obligation to do tshuva for that sin. This is despite the fact that in theory the sin remains ever before me because adequate tshuva in the legal sense is defined as simply abandoning sin. And as we said, let me, I'm going to add my own words, the sin is cleansed. So there's no reason to address it or to readdress it. You addressed it, it's over, it's done. That's when it's about you, you can say it's done. However, in Yom Kippur, 
It's the time that places an obligation of tshuva upon the person, not anyone's personal affairs. Accordingly, if there was anything in one's life that ever required tshuva, they must do tshuva again. And as much as the sin remains ever before me, this type of tshuva applies to everyone. That's so say Yom Kippur. The day of Yom Kippur is the day in which we readdress ourselves and our relationships and ask ourselves the question, having, got, having uh, matured X amount since the last time I looked at this, is there something that I want to readdress? On Yom Kippur, text number 10, and I think we'll close it out with this one. Um, I think there's 11. Yeah, we'll close it out with this one. Actually, no, we'll do, do the last two. The last one is a story, which is a nice story to read. Text 10. On Yom Kippur, every Jew is elevated to new heights. There automatically, there is a, there's, a, there's an elevation and a sensitivity that is added to a person. As such, even if one did adequate tshuva for something in the past, on Yom Kippur, they must do a deeper, higher level of tshuva. In other words, Yom Kippur renders a Jew more spiritually attuned. As such, things in the past, th- sorry, things that in the past before Yom Kippur would not have been considered a sin are now considered as such. Accordingly, one must do tshuva. And again, that word sin, of course, is, is a trigger word and a, and a harsh word. But what it means is, again, think about the analogy I gave you before. You're in a relationship with a person that you love. You did something. You said something. You said sorry. They forgave you. It's good. They're not holding it against you. They're not mentioning it. At, you know when when something else happened. Oh, remember that time? That's not happening. It's good. However, as you get older, as you get more mature, as you get more, as you become even more and more in love with that person, as you become more sensitive to them, it might be prudent to readdress or to re to reevaluate and say, you know what? Maybe there's still some more work that I need to do, or some more words that I can say. Am I correct in that instead of concentrating on repentance, it is more an acknowledgement of what, how we have behaved in the past and to reevaluate? Yes, because we already said sorry and we already forgiven. But it, right, it's about reevaluating that and becoming more sensitive. And the truth is that process allows us to become more aware of where we are today and the difference between where we are today and where we are in the past. You know, I was thinking just now in the context of Yizkar. You know, Yom Kippur, we say Yizkar. The memorial prayer for those that we've loved and lost. Parents, grandparents, etc. And Yizkar, you know, we do it every year. Not only every year, but every holiday. We're doing Yizkar again. And the question is, we did Yizkar. Why are we doing it again? And the point is not to have the same memories. But since we're growing... So our, uh, the, the relationship that we have with our loved ones, even though they're no longer physically here, that relationship can deepen as well and, and ought to deepen. As we mature, our perception of that relationship also matures. And so it's a different relationship. It's a different type of relationship. It's definitely more challenging in, in, in ways, but it, it definitely matures in other ways. And I think that's the idea of a living and growing relationship is that it's not static. It's not stagnant. You can't just say, well, we already spoke about that last year. We're not going to, I don't need to speak about it again this year. We do need to speak about it again because we're growing individuals. And therefore, it's a, it's a dynamic, not a static relationship. And speaking of dynamic versus static, take a look at text 11. This is be- a beautiful story. So um, I'll read the intro in italics and then I'll read the story. Professor David Weiss, I don't know, I'll do my voiceover voice. Professor David Weiss was an assistant professor in the Department of Immunology and Bacteriology at the University of California in Berkeley. After a trip to the Soviet Union in 1965, he had an audience, a personal meeting with 
the Rebbe, Lubavitcher Rebbe. He relayed most of the discussion in the interview, and here's the end of the conversation. And now this is a quote from Professor Weiss. At the end of the audience, I was so profoundly impressed that I was moved to say to the Rebbe, I am not as exact in my Torah observance as some others. I do pray three times a day, but not always with a minion. And I'm not always as careful about observing the commandments as the people who are your emissaries. Shluchim, the rabbis. But I would like to know, I would just like to know, who can, I, who can call himself one of your chassidim, one of your disciples? The rabbi responded, it's very simple. Somebody who can say at the end of the day that he has advanced a small step higher than he was at the beginning of the day, I would be happy to call that person a chassid of mine. How beautiful. It's not about where you are. It's about did you advance? Are you growing? His statement contained a very powerful message. And ever since then I've tried, though I have not always succeeded, to be the kind of person who's able to look back at the end of the day and say, I've risen today by a small step. I think that's a beautiful goal. And that's really the message of Yom, of Yom Kippur. Right? That's the message. You did it last year. You said 440 confessions last year. You did the whole 40, 44 times 10 times. You did the whole, the whole list again and again and again. Why are we doing it again? We did it. We're not repeating it. We're good, right? We're, we're good. The answer is yes, we're good. But we should be growing. And if we're growing then we're looking at the same thing from a different vantage point. Let's say you're in Santa Fe. Let's just say. Let's say you're in Santa Fe. What's the most beautiful site in Santa Fe? The mountains. The mountains. Right? Let's say you're standing... Um, Here they're called. Uh, what? Is that what they're called? Well, two of them and the Hemes. Blood of Christ. Oh! To mix, uh, turns mix metaphors. Copper in the sundown. Turns copper. Oh, 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 good. Perfect. I was waiting. I was waiting for something. So let's think about time. So you could look at the mountains at, at, at 12 o'clock. At 12 o'clock, and they look one way. At 4 o'clock, they look a different way. At 8 o'clock, they look different. And that's the point of this, of this entire conversation. The point that I'm trying to convey tonight is, the point that Chassidus, that Kabbalah explains about Yom Kippur, is, is the same thing. When we look at our actions, in one light, it'll look a certain way. When we look at it again in a different light, it's going to look different. So every year when we readdress, and typically we don't look backwards. You don't check the mirror. Typically we move forward. We do something wrong, sorry, forgiveness, and we keep on moving forward because we have a lot of things to do. Yom Kippur is the one day a year in which we're told, turn backwards. Typically, you know what happens when we turn backwards? Like Lot's wife? Yeah, also, what happened to Lot's wife, remember? She turned into a pillar of salt. She froze. Typically, when we turn backwards, we get stuck. She got stuck in place. That's typically what happens. So Judaism says, don't look back, look forward. Keep on moving forward. However, in Yom Kippur, it's prudent one day a year, which we look backwards. Not to beat ourselves up, God forbid, but just to look at things, like you said beautifully, in a new light. In the sunset, right? Or whatever it is. In, in a different light, things look different. And that's what we're doing in Yom Kippur, looking at things from where we are today because we're advancing every day and every year, looking at, our, looking at, at, our, at the totality of our, of, our, um, of our personal resume, our life resume, in the context of where we are today. Standing where I am today, what does my life look like? What does my past look like? What are the areas in which I might want to revisit and deepen? What are the areas? Who are the people that I want to go over to and say, you know what? I was thinking. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Who are those people? Not to beat ourselves up, but in the context of growth and advancement. So my friends, 
This Yom Kippur, let us recall this message, that it's about growth. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's not about becoming depressed. It's not about becoming despondent. It's not about my sin is ever before me, so I'm crushed by the weight of my past. It's not about being crushed. It's about looking at things from a clear vantage point. Where we are today, having advanced, having grown, looking at my past from where I am today, what is it that I can do to even more, you know, to, 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 to lift that, to lift that piece of my past up ever higher. And with this, we will deepen our relationships with others, deepen our relationship with God, and be blessed with a Gmar Chasimatova. The um, what was that song? You mentioned the song before, but this is another song. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours, right? That song? Yeah. Was that Stevie Wonder? There you go, Stevie Wonder. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. <laughs> so may we all be signed, sealed, and delivered for a good year, a year of blessing, a year of happiness. Nachas and gesund, which means good health. Parnasa, a good livelihood. And all of the blessings that we need. And let's not allow Yom Kippur to go past just as another Yom Kippur, more prayers and more chest beating. It's a day in which we're, we have a clarity. And from that clarity, we can revisit some things in a very cool way. Make sense? Excellent. All right. Thank you. Pleasure. Wow. Good. That's it. You guys were great. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I know the English term. <laughs> Sangre is like Sangre. Is it called a Sangre? Sangre Christo. Sangre is blood. They're the Eastern. Christo is Right. It's in the same land as the mountains in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Well, we don't have that much money to go to Jackson Pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure. Yes, hey, Joy. Yes. Is there a class next Wednesday? Yes, thank you. Yes, next Wednesday. <laughs> awesome, thank you. <laughs> um, okay, next Wednesday, lesson three of three. We have the third session, third boot camp. The topic is Sukkot. What is it? Next Wednesday night. The topic is, hold on, I'll tell you the topic in a second. I may need to look it up because my memory is failing me. The topic is, hold on. Oh, oh man, I don't even know what this means. Sukkot, the ascetic materialist. <laughs> in other words, in other words, how to be a materialist, it's basically about um, minimalistic maximalism. Imagine, or maximalist, minimalist. Right, maximalist, minimalism. It's about going big, and going small at the same time. It's about a sukkah, right? We live in a sukkah. It's a simple hut, but we make it home. That's kind of, not make it home, like gotta make it home, but we make that our home. So that's the, that's the theme next week. Um, we will miss you. I'm going to be in Buffalo. Buffalo. Nice. I'm taking the week of foreign affairs. Oh yeah, you told me. Yeah, it's good, it's exciting. Where else would you study foreign affairs except Buffalo? Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. You think about it, it's not a grass place. It's on the border of Canada. That is true. That is true. I hope it's not cold yet. Because Buffalo, I it's like September already. I remember one year, so my kids have gone to Yeshiva in Chicago, all the three oldest ones. Remember, I must have been the first one. Nothing. 
We sent them right after the holidays here in Atlanta, after Sukkot. It's beautiful. September is, is like peak weather. It's gorgeous. He went back. He was there day one. I don't know why we didn't look at the weather. He's like, I need a winter coat. He's like, it's 30 degrees. I'm like, oh my. It might have been like one of those years in which it ends in October and then he was back in October, but it was already like glove and coat. And he, his, he's not used to it. Kid from from Atlanta. I grew up in Pittsburgh. At least I can pretend like I know what that's like. That's why the uh, upper class also has to wear fur. <laughs> yeah, fur is fur is where, and the fur hat, the shrimal. Everyone's like, oh, it's Hasidic garb. No, it's warm. <laughs> I mean, and also Hasidic garb, but it's also warm. You don't want to talk about those fur hats. Yeah, yeah. yeah that just that just literally keeps you warm. Um, good, great to see you. Everyone should be blessed. Easy fast. Why do fast days go so slow? I'm kidding. All right. Anyway, should be a should be a year of blessing for us all. Um, Howard and Sharna and Ray, great to see you. Dr. Maxi, great to see you as always. Mark, Alex, Catherine, Joy, Lisa, and David, and Mom. Hey, Mom. My mom is here. All right. Good to see you guys. Lila Tov. Easy fast. See you guys soon. It was such a lovely lesson. Thank you. Just, Thank you. Totally shifted my whole... Well, that's...